want to bring to you today a dilemma I've been facing personally, uh, probably for as long as I can remember. Um, some of you may be able to relate with me today and some others may think, what on earth is he talking about? I don't get that. But I do hope that, that we can look at God's scripture today together and, I don't know, find some, some truth um, about what God is trying to teach us. You know, I've been especially preoccupied with this dilemma since our UK and Ireland conference a few weeks ago. The title of the conference was Joyful in Hope. And I saw the title and I thought, ah, oh, here we go again. I'm going to see and hear how I need to be joyful in the spirit and joyful in hope. I will not feel the joy and I will feel like a failure. I don't, if, if you were to, if I was to describe myself, I think joyful is probably the last word I would use. I don't necessarily feel joy or happiness most of the time. Um, yes, I love my kids and I love my family, I have good times with them, but that experience of joy is not something that's very familiar to me. And it never has been. And I think over the years, from kind of early or late teens up to now, it's led to me feeling depressed at times and anxious at times and wrestling with the purpose and meaning of life at times. And then all of that, in the context of my Christian life, I feel sometimes even more like a failure. Because as a Christian, surely I need to have this joy in God and my relationship with Him. And then when I don't feel it, I feel, well, there I'm just failing again. I mean, there are some words that people would describe me with. I didn't ask Brandon about this beforehand, but I'm sure she'll come up with some words if I was to describe. I mean, I think what might come to mind is perhaps grumpiness and irritability and depression and anxiety and sometimes anger. Um, but joy, not so much. And you know, this, this really bothers me. Now, my wife, in her infinite wisdom, said to me on Wednesday this week, why don't you go away by yourself for a night? Um, now, I don't know if she, you know, I, I believe that it's because she truly, truly loves me and truly wants me to have what I maybe need in life and not that she just wanted today night without grumpiness in her life. But nevertheless, I took the opportunity and um, <laughs> no, I know she loves me, and I know it was a good intention, but I, I went away to this um, little spot close to High Wickham where we've been before, a little camping spot, and it's great because there's no one there, and in fact, this time I was there, there was absolutely no one because the whole site was closed. It was just me, um, so I don't see and hear a soul, and it was awesome. So I went there thinking, okay, this is going to be an opportunity for me to connect with joy. All right, this is my task. Right, I'm going to draw closer to God, and through that I'm going to find joy. Somehow, rekindle it in my life in some way. And I read some things, and I walked, and I prayed. Me and the dog, we both went, and he was there, and chasing squirrels, and he is super joyful, by the way. You know, <laughs> you know he's just like, a squirrel! Yes, a stick! That's amazing, okay? <laughs> And I'm looking at him and like, how do you do that? Right? And I look at some other people sometimes and I'm like, how do you do that? And I don't, I don't quite connect with this. I don't quite get it. 
Um, anyway, so I'm thinking and praying and sitting and wondering. And I looked at a few uh, people speaking about joy in God and closeness to God on, on YouTube. And about, I mean, late in, late at night, about one o'clock, I kind of realized, you know what? I think I'm going about this the wrong way. I think this is, this is the wrong way around. Me looking for joy is not the thing that is going to bring me joy. Now, I don't have the answers, right? And I'm hoping that you will be patient with me today as we figure this out. I mean, this is very recent for me. This is very, very fresh. I have some thoughts, and I'm sure these thoughts are going to, there are many more thoughts I mean, as I, as I think about this, every point almost thinks, well, that's a whole kind of month of thinking and considering just what that's about. But I'm hoping together we can, we can figure out something around our purpose and how that connects with who we are and how we are and how we are perhaps joyful in hope. Um, I want to start off by reading Psalm 100. And I it reads, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us, who, um, and we are his. We are his people, his sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is just one example showing us who the God is that we serve. And you know what, if, um, if we were to ask the heavens, why did God create the heavens and the earth? And we were to ask that question towards the heavens, what would the angels proclaim? What would they say? What would they shout, really? They would say, it's for his glory. That is why. That's why we are created. That's why we see stars in the night sky. That's why this creation that we know about is so amazing, and the ones we don't know about is even more amazing. The reason why we breathe is to bring him glory. You know, um, in Isaiah 43, God, God says this, uh, where he says explicitly, I created them to bring me glory. Go and read through Isaiah 43 again on your own. We are created to bring him glory. Can just, I want us to consider this as we go into this discussion. Why are we created? Why do we breathe? Why does our hair grow or not grow? Why, <laughs> why do we... Why is anything possible? Why is all of what we see around us in existence? It is to bring God glory. We read in, um, in Romans 1 how this has been made absolutely clear to us. Let's quickly turn there. Romans 1, verse 18, or scroll there, whatever you do. Romans 1, 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. 
forsense the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. He has made it plain. We know that. We exist for the sole purpose of worshipping God. I mean, I can, I can say that over and over, but do we understand what that means? Think about what we are concerned with, what I'm concerned with day to day. I can say with all honesty, it is not about worshipping God 100%. Worshipping God is somewhere in the picture, sure. But is my existence, my purpose, my nature all surround worshipping God? I don't think so. The Bible speaks about appropriate worship and acceptable worship and all sorts of stuff. And I mean, and I, I read a bit throughout the last few days about all that, and there's, there's so much to talk about and to think about. What is acceptable worship, what's not? And there's no way we can go into all of that today. I think the thing that I want to start with for myself is to really get the fact that I exist to worship God. So, you know, things that frustrate me immensely, there are many things, you know, given the fact that I'm usually grumpy, but many things frustrate me immensely. Electronics are one of those things, okay? Who's got a, who's got a laptop? I'm not going to look at the Max guys over there. <laughs> my Virgin Media connection into my home is designed for one purpose only. If I go to Google and I go to Firefox or Explorer and I type in something I'm looking for, it is supposed to, from the World Wide Web, connect me and give me the information. And what do I get? Web page not found. Yeah. Or no internet connection. Or this little triangle with an with a exclamation mark in the middle saying, not connected. I'm like, it is supposed to work. It worked a second ago. Why is it not working now? Immensely frustrating. Opening up a Word document, Word not responding. Excel not responding. And don't tell me get a Mac. I'm looking at you. <laughs> because I've worked with Macs and the same thing happens, right? Not responding, not working, not connecting. It drives me insane. Our fridge is supposed to make things cold. Is that what a fridge is supposed to do? Yeah. So you have a fridge, make things cold. What did our fridge do the other day? Stop making things cold. Very frustrating. It's broken. We had an insurance policy, which is supposed it did not replace the fridge. It took us over a month. How long have we without a fridge? A month? Six. Six weeks. No fridge. Okay? Very frustrating. Now imagine, this is this little bit of frustration I have and we have about things not working the way it's supposed to. God made us for one purpose only, to worship him. I can only imagine God's sadness, even frustration, if we are not fulfilling that one purpose that he created us for. Now I'm going to get back to joy in a sec, because I think it's all connected. God had a master plan all along, of course, from the beginning of creation until, I think, the end of days. There's a plan. And Jesus is a very integral part in that plan. But, it, you know, going back to my opening remarks of looking for joy. So what was I doing? I was going to God asking for, I guess I was asking for joy. Now, I wasn't this articulate to my thoughts about what I was wanting or asking for. You know, I was struggling and wrestling and figuring out what, what is this about. But I think what I got to is if I go to God to get
get something, I'm missing something very important. Because that is not how it works. I don't think that's how the design works, the design that God, that God has for us. I think joy will be a byproduct. Yes, absolutely. And God promises that. But if that's my focus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall flat on my face. It's not going to work out. I think. I hope. I mean, as I say, I'm figuring this out. And I would appreciate your, your thoughts afterwards. But um, again, I cannot stress enough how I'm beginning to believe more and more our sole purpose is to worship God. And I think right from the beginning, if you think about, we're going back to, um, to Exodus. Let's go back to Exodus. Or not quite the beginning. If you think about, I mean, if you can turn to Exodus 4 in the meantime. So God went to Moses, and he said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. But why? Did he say that? Let my people go so that they can worship me. Let's read Exodus 4. Somewhere, if I can find it. Another thing, now I'm, I'm, now I'm jumping back and forth here, but just think about this as well. In the beginning, God walked with Adam and Eve, a man in the, in the Garden of, of Eden, right? He walked with them. Can you imagine that? Walking around, God being with us, being in complete union with him. Absolute joy, I believe, with that. Then, of course, sin came, the fall. We were separated from God. Um, and then, right at the end of the Bible, in Revelations, I'm, I'm going to read that to you in a sec, in Revelations like, 21 and 22, again, there is complete union with God. And I believe, this is my guess, about some of the design of the Bible and what's in there and God's plan and word for us, is that everything in between is about teaching us how to worship Him, about teaching us once again how to be in true communion with Him. We were, we were not, and there's everything about sacrifice and then Jesus, of course, integral part and everything else, and then in the end, again, we are with him. I'm going to read that. Keep, I want you to keep all of that in mind. But in Exodus 4, I don't know where my passage is now. Hmm. Is it there? No. No. Here we go. Exodus 4, verse 22. So... God says to Moses, he says, Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go, so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. And then every time Moses goes back to Pharaoh again, the words are the same, let them go so they can worship me. And this is, of course, the point I'm hoping I'm, I'm able to bring across. It's this point of worshipping God. What is that? What is it to worship God? What, not what does it look like. Now, again, we can get stuck in what do we need to do, or that's, that's my personality anyway. So, right, what's on the list? What do we need to do in order to worship God? And I think it's obviously wider than that. 
I think it is about the understanding of who and what God is. You know, through the, through the scriptures, we get glimpses of this, right? We get glimpses of people meeting God. We get glimpses of people seeing God face to face. The prophets, I mean, it's happened a few times. Not many times, but, you know, I like reading through um, the book of Isaiah sometimes to, to see some of those interactions. In Isaiah, hmm, one moment. No. I'll find it later. For now, what does it look like to worship God? So, you remember when Pharaoh said to, to Moses at the end, finally, when he got tired of him coming over, he says, okay, you can go, but leave your animals here. You remember that? And Moses said, no, 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 we need the animals. Why did they need the animals? To make sacrifices to God. Because there was this understanding of in order to be reconciled with God, something is necessary. Uh, a death is necessary. A sacrifice. A sacrifice of an innocent life is necessary. Again, this was part of God's design all the way through. It's, it's phenomenal. And as I say, my mind is, is boggling when I think about this because I feel like this probably will influence the way I think about everything that I've known and read so far in the scriptures. I think for a long time I've been, I've had this mentality of we worship God and through that I may receive something. Okay, why do we worship God? Do we worship God to receive joy? Do we worship God because we will have good marriages? Do we worship God because we want our children to know God and get close to Him and be godly people? Do we worship God because we want to, I mean, in my case, I guess. Sure, it's such a difficult question to answer. I don't know why. I don't think the answer has been consistently because God is holy and awesome and amazing. Think about the times when people saw God. What happened? They fell flat on their faces and they go, oh, woe to me. You know, I can't, I can't even, woe to me, you know, I'm, I'm wicked, I'm, I don't even know what to do. You see, worshipping God is, is an end in itself. It's not the means to something else. And this is something I don't quite grasp quite yet. And I'm hoping I will, I will begin to figure out what that is and what that means. But it's about, let me, let me ask you this, if I tell you, so let's say I take this issue that I have around feeling joyful or, you know, experiencing happiness and all that kind of stuff. So I'm thinking about that. Let's call that the pink elephant, okay? And I'm telling you to think about the pink elephant. Then I tell you, don't think about the pink elephant. Are you thinking about it? No? I'm told you not to, right? That's, it doesn't work like that. But if I were to bring in, imagine the glory of God, His absolute holiness, something we cannot even comprehend, and we imagine that, would you be thinking about the elephant then? Probably not. And I think that's the point. I think that's where somehow I want to get to 
to seeing and realizing. Now, it is true, I think, from reading through the scriptures, that that absolute true communion with God is not going to be possible until, until we die. I think we do have the confidence to enter the most holy place, as it says in Hebrews. We have that confidence. And we are still fallible human beings with all the stuff going on. So what Adam had, I don't think I'll have. The walking with God in the, in the garden. And then what we read in Genesis, where there's no more temple and nothing else exists, I don't think I'll have that quite yet. I believe I will when I die. But there's something in between. And the something in between, I think, is a teaching us to get to the place of true worship. Think through the Old Testament, those first few books of the Old Testament. If you ever read it and you thought, oh man, how much more can I read about exactly what this temple looked like? Exactly how much gold was in there? Exactly how much purple cloth? Exactly, we're talking chapter after chapter after chapter of telling us about the details of the temple and the tabernacle. Why? Why is that the case? Because that was a place where God dwelled. That was a place where worship happened. That was a place where God was met. That was a place where the Israelites and our true purpose was being lived out. In that, in the tab with the tabernacle, with the ark, with the temple. It's phenomenal. It makes so much sense to me. You know, I've read it so many times and thought, yeah, yeah, purple cloth, silver, gold, all this kind of stuff. There's a reason why that's so important. Because everything I believe, I think, I don't, I think, I don't believe, I think, I'm figuring out, since Adam and Eve, all the way until the end of days, is to help us figure out how to be true worshippers. For God to call worshippers to him. I, I read something that someone wrote, and I haven't checked this out exactly, but um, what this person said was is that through the scriptures there's never a call for true worship. There's only a call for true worshippers. Which is interesting, if it's true. I mean, I'll have to, I'll have to check it out. But if that's true, it means that, I mean, I, I trust the guy, it's not going to put something up if it's not the case. But what does that mean that God understands that that true worship is never going to be possible for us? But true worshipers is something that we are called to be. Now, what is a true worshiper? Gosh, ask me six months from now, and I may have one, one more point to add to that. I don't know. But maybe as a church, we can think about the fact that our purpose is to be true worshippers. And I do believe that, um, I do have the hope in the back of my mind, sometimes more, sometimes less, that this, let's call it joy, that I desire will come, will be there. Maybe not all the time, and that's okay. But I think more than that, as I'm saying this now, more than that, I'm wondering, does that even matter? Does it even matter whether I feel or experience joy? Probably not. What matters is that I fulfill my purpose, which is to worship God. That's what I want to figure out. I want to figure out how to worship Him. 
You know, I believe that as we will experience this joy in worshipping God, and keep in mind joy being a byproduct. So we don't we don't receive something. So worship isn't a stepping stone to getting something else. Does that make sense? We we are we are going to receive joy in our worshipping of God, but not through it. It's not I'm gonna do that so that I can feel something or so that I can have, you know, see my family become Christians, or so that so that's not it's a means it's a means in its in itself. It's an end in itself. It ends there. So As I say, my mind is going all over the place with this, but I'm really boggled by the whole concept of what it means to be a true worshipper. And what it is that the temple meant in the Old Testament. And now what we are, what the church is, and what we are designed to be. You know, I love the scripture in Hebrews 10 where it speaks about the, you know, we enter the throne of grace with confidence through the curtain which was his body, uh, which happened as Jesus died and the curtain tore and then that most holy place behind the curtain became available to us that we can enter, enter in there with God and with, through, through Jesus. And I'm trying to figure out how much of that is possible for us now. How much of that can we experience? I think we can go on sometimes an emotional connection, which I think is awesome and great. And I sometimes try and, try and get there myself, try and get to that emotional place of connecting with God. And through, through singing songs and in praying together, I think sometimes we experience it. I must certainly experience it as we were singing this morning, especially that last, that last song, which I absolutely love, as, as Joe said. And then my mind goes somewhere else. Then it goes to, where are the kids? What are, we, what are we doing? Who's, who's doing what? You know, is the podium where it's supposed to be? Is the, and that's normal. God knows that we are fallible, I'm sure. But what is it? How do I, how do I look at this, at coming to church, at being together with you once a week, as part of my becoming a true worshipper? Does that make sense? How does, how does that fit in? Does that have to do with what we speak about here? Speak, we sometimes speak about Christian activities, I guess, which is great. But I would really want us to speak more about the glory of God. <coughs> speak more about, you know, forget about sometimes what it is that we need or want or desire, even if those desires are good, which often they are, but more about, oh, glory of God, can you imagine? What would happen if we were to see the glory of God right now? It would be amazing. And as I said, I think that right from Exodus all the way through to Revelations, there are so many examples of God and Jesus and the prophets and everyone else trying to teach us to become these true worshippers. So I started thinking and speaking about what is joy, right? How do I get that? And through, over the last, only a few days, my mind has completely shifted away from that, where I'm not so much seeking joy anymore. 
gosh, it's only been two days. What am I saying? I, I don't know. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rather not try and speculate with where I am right now with that. It is something that I'm trying to figure out. I do think that focusing on being a true worshipper is the way to go. I think realizing what my purpose of existence is, is the way to go. Because I've often wondered about all these existential questions, right? About why do we exist? You know, why am I the person that I am? Um, if my parents had a child a month later, I wouldn't be here, it would be someone else, genetics would be different. How does all of this work? You know, people come into the world sometimes, you know, sometimes not planned, sometimes planned, sometimes through awful circumstances, human beings are created through, you know, violence and, and awful things. And that bothers me. I'm like, how does all of this work together? How does all of this fit in with our understanding of who God is? But if I take all of that and I put it in the camp of everything, everything is created for the glory of God. Everything is created to worship God, to sing His praises and to bow down before Him then it doesn't matter how things, where things, who people, where people, what parents, divorces, whatever, you know, how people come into being, it doesn't matter because everything is created for the glory of God through Jesus. We're reading 1 John. Let's read that. That Jesus has been so instrumental in all of this from the beginning. So remember we read, in the beginning, God made heaven and earth, right? We read that in Genesis, the first word of the, of the scriptures, and here's another in the beginning. No, it's not there. What am I looking? Search on. Yeah. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. That's not quite the one I was looking for. Which one? I'm looking for the one where it says, in the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was flesh. Not first, John. Thanks, guys. See? Yeah. Well, that was relevant. But in John chapter 1, so keep that in mind for later Bible study. That's why, that's why I gave you that one. So John 1, not 1 John. I heard you say that, and I didn't even hear what you said. In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So from the beginning, this design about us worshipping God is Jesus' is integral in that thing. You know, God got, I think, so frustrated with his creation at some point that he wiped them out, right, with a flood. He's like, okay, pretty much like I want to do with my laptop from time to time. I was thinking if I flood it, maybe I can claim insurance and get a new one, but you know, I'm not going <laughs> to... So, you know, taking something from the scriptures, flood, but no, I, I won't do that, I won't do that. Um, but through all of that, there's always been the plan that we will have the ability to be reconciled with God. And I think the journey there, well, I think it definitely starts our accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, most definitely, and with the baptism and the, what all of that symbolizes, that's a whole other series of discussions. It starts there. And then, from there, I do believe we will become more and more aware of what it means to worship God. But I want that to be my focus. I don't want my focus to be, how many people do we have at church? How many baptisms are there? How many, you know, how spiritual is my family? How well can I lead my family in a spiritual way? Are my kids, you know, all of those things that we desire, I want to see as the byproduct of worshipping God. And I don't quite yet know what that looks like. But hopefully, I'll figure that out a little bit more over the next 10 years or so and grow towards that. But I do think my futile attempt to search for joy is taking a different direction. A different turn. Um, and I'm hoping that, turn to Revelations 21, I will eventually be able to, to believe this fully. Revelations 21 verse 22. So remember I said that in the beginning we were with God, then there was a separation, and all the way through all the scriptures is about being reconciled with God. There was a temple, a physical temple on earth where people worshipped, we come here to the church to worship, to the church being all of us. And then right at the end, we end again with no temple, no place, no anything. Where it says, verse 21, verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its lights, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor on it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The temple is 
God. That's the place where we will end up. And again, that cannot be our purpose or our direction. It cannot be we worship because we want to be in heaven with God. No. We worship because God is holy. and Because that is our purpose and that is our design. Salvation comes with it, sure. Joy comes with it. Fellowship, all those things come with it. But we do not do it in order to get something or get somewhere. I think if we try and do that, we're going we're gonna, to, I don't want to say fail, because God has mercy, sure. He always gives us more grace. But surely our experience of being a Christian, our experience of worshipping, of being with God, is going to be so much enhanced, I think, if we focus on worshipping God and let the rest come along with it, whatever that might be. That's where I want to personally go towards. Now I say that and I feel slightly nervous saying it because I've again I have this, this historic feeling of I'm going to fail. There's another thing that I'm going to fail at. This is just another thing I won't be able to figure out and again I'll just, I don't know, fail. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I don't loathe myself, okay? That's not what I'm trying to say about this. Actually, some aspects, not all, but some I quite like about myself. But I do have an understanding of, you know, my tendency to feel like I'm going to fail or that I am failing. But if I even can just push that to the side and just focus on God is awesome, try and read more, meditate more on Him, on what it means to worship Him, I think the rest will fall into place. So part of this design over the thousands of years has been God showing us and teaching us um, the role that sacrifice plays in worshipping Him. So I started off with, you know, in the, in the early days of the Israelites, the, the Passover and the killing of the lamb and the, and the blood on the door frames and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the continual sacrifices, the holiness of the altars where they sacrificed the animals on, um, the innocent lives that were sacrificed. And then eventually, of course, Jesus. God chooses to enter our world to humble himself completely, again, in order for us to be able to connect with God, in order for us to be able to enter into the most holy place with confidence. And then Jesus died, and then he said, now remember this, please remember this. In fact, take bread and wine on a regular basis and remember, remember the design I think. Remember the design of all of creation and of all of our existence and the purpose for all of us to be breathing and living. It is to worship God. And Jesus makes that possible. And that is why we remember. We don't remember just to be grateful. Gratitude comes with it. I think. I don't think we remember, what is it that we remember Jesus and we can have the sense of, 
okay, he died for us, so because of that I will then, I don't know, be a disciple, follow the commandments, love him, and of course those things are true. But again, let's get there through the worship of him, not in order to get something. Make sense? So we worship him, and because of that, we will follow his commands. Because of that, nothing else will matter, but, you know, am I going to heaven and who's going with me? Because of that, I will feel joy. Because of that, I will have a good marriage. Because of that, I will be humble. Because of that, I won't be grumpy. Because of that, I may experience some joy. In that, not as a stepping stone to get that. So Jesus died for us. Which is, remember he was there at the beginning. Through him all things were made. He was part of the entire plan. He chose to separate himself from God for our sake. Which is something, I mean, imagine seeing God, being with him, and then being separated. I mean, that, is, that is the biggest sacrifice of all, right? Not so much, I think, the physical death on the cross as the separation from the glory of God so that we can have it. I remember Paul saying, I'm trading off now, but Paul saying, I wish that I could give up my salvation so that my fellow Jews can be saved. Remember, so he was even thinking, which is remarkable, the way that, that, that Jesus did. I would separate myself for the sake of... But all of that was because they understood the glory of God. I'm going to stop talking now because I don't quite yet know where this is going to end up. But let's take communion together. Um, and try and expand our thoughts a little bit to why do we even do this? You know, we have this line to say this is the time when we commemorate the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, but why? What will the angels be shouting at us in, you know, Please, just can you figure this out? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's all they do. It's like, come on, people. That is what, that's, what, that's where I want to get to. And I pray that we will, we will somehow begin to understand slightly better. Let's pray before we pass around the, the bread and the wine. My God, I'm, I'm really grateful that you, that you are gracious. I'm so grateful that um, you have understanding for our, our small-mindedness and our, you know, the way that just, the way that we struggle to understand sometimes your plan for us, your desire for us. But Lord God, you are holy. And when I think about the angels shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I think of us, um, little puny humans, not puny in your eyes, I know you love us, God, coming, with, coming into that presence of that holy place, seeing you, being with you. My Lord, it just, it makes things, it makes things clear. God, I'm grateful for your scriptures and your word. I'm grateful that you, 
have the patience with us to teach us, like you taught your people over thousands of years with grace and with patience. God, thank you that, that we have access to that. And Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you chose, made the choice to take our sins on you and be separated from the Almighty God so that we can have reconciliation. Lord, I pray that you will, I ask God, that you will ignite in us our desire to see your glory and our desire to worship you um, and praise your name. And, and that through that, my Lord, our, our love will become known. But God, I ultimately ask that you, that you help us to see you, that you help us to see the reality of our creation, of our existence, that we will be able to see you, Lord, on the throne of grace. And thank you that we can approach you with confidence. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.